So when they attack God's word, how will we respond? Well, you need to know what the attack's going to sound like. Satan's going to cast doubt on God's truth, God's character, and God's law. This is the way it's been since Genesis 3. This is the way it will continue to be until the end of time. Did God surely say you would die? Attacking truth. No, he said if we eat from this, this, this tree we'll die. We can eat from all these other trees. Isn't that interesting? Using transgenderism or homosexuality or any other topic, all this goodness God has provided to us and he says it's all yours, just not that tree. How it becomes the one defining issue for people. You could, you could have all this and God w- would be glorified and he'd be happy with that choice. No, I want this choice. This is the one that's going to make me happy. No, God says it'll make you miserable. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. God's a liar. I hate even saying that from the pulpit, but I, I'm speaking as if I'm Satan. I'm the devil's advocate here. Literally, in this case. No, God's lying. In fact, God knows that if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be like him. And and he doesn't want to share his lordship with anybody. How petty. So it's attacking God's character. And if you can't trust God's character, then you can't trust God's law. So that's, that's the way this is going to work. If you can't trust God's law, then... Now there's no laws and there's anarchy and we can't have that, so we need laws. I have my own bucket. That's how the process works. Are you really thinking through those steps, though? Not really. It just kind of happens. You just end up in your own bucket one day. Here's the the first accusation you're going to hear. Christians are always judging other people. About God's law. God says that's wrong. God says that's wrong. Oh yeah, well Christians, they don't obey God's law either. They're all hypocrites. Raise your hand if you've heard that accusation. Our response? You're absolutely right. Nobody keeps the law perfectly. Only Jesus did. That's why Jesus had to come and die for our our sins, our law-breaking Now, we should be able to tell people, look, the only difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is a Christian recognizes that I'm a lawbreaker and I need God's forgiveness. And God will help me to keep His law. And I may not do it perfectly, but there's grace and there will be grace for you too. And you might even tell a person... I'm sorry if Christians ever gave you the impression that they're perfect and you're the rotten sinner. We should know better than that. By the way, this accusation demonstrates that they have God's law written on their hearts. If there was no God and no absolute morality, then why would they be so upset? You know, if you said, hey, God says that's wrong, and, and if you don't repent, there's going to be eternal punishment. And they're like... God what God? 
law, what law? Go away. The fact that they get angry tells you that they have God's law written on their heart. Whenever your conversations come around to morality, you can kindly and lovingly ask, well, you think this is right, but I think it's wrong. We can't both be right. Can we? I mean, if they say you can, then you need to camp out there for a while and talk about the law of non-contradiction. Wait, we can't both be right. We're either both wrong, or one of us is right and one of us is wrong, but we can't both be right. Once they agree to that, say, so what standard are you using to judge my moral standard? What's your higher standard? I'm using God's Word. I think that's the ultimate standard. What's, what trumps God's Word? Well, it's the new law of the land, so you have to obey. The Supreme Court said they're the ultimate law of the land. And you could say, you know, in Nazi Germany, it became the law of the land that transgendered practicers of transgenderism and practicers of homosexuality should be eradicated from the population. And they were killed alongside the Jews in the gas chambers. That was the law of the land. Was it right then? Well, no. Well, why no? Because everyone knows that's wrong. Oh, okay. Everyone knows. Where did, that's the law of God. Sharia law says that those who practice homosexuality and transgenderism should be stoned to death. Is that make it right? You see, you just run into this dilemma. Now, I can tell you the way most people respond. It isn't usually, oh, thank you. <laughs> they get defensive and they get upset. And you have to be careful that you're not just excited that you won the argument. If you win the argument and lose, lose your brother, you haven't won at all. So be gentle and be kind and speak truth and love. Second accusations. Christians ignore many of the laws in the Old Testament, like stoning rebellious children to death or not mixing fabric. So now they're picking some of the laws and they're like, really, you guys don't actually believe this. In fact, you're mixing polyester and cotton today. You're a lawbreaker. And Christians make the mistake of saying, well, some laws are more important than other laws. And so, no, 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 that's not the direction you need to head. The law of Moses, you know, ask them which law specifically they're talking about. Find it in the Bible. Say, the law of Moses is no longer binding for New Testament believers. That, that law was for Israel, the covenant God made with them. The old covenant is replaced by a new covenant. However, all of the Mosaic law is good, was good, is good. It's not that it was bad. God wouldn't make a law that is bad. In fact, many of the laws of the Mosaic law have carried over to the new covenant. And they're like, well, how convenient. Well, no, I can show you in the New Testament where, for instance, 
that homosexuality is immoral. It carries over into the New Testament. In fact, instead of going to Romans 1, I would go to 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Such were some of you. Because not only does it say that it's wrong, but it gives the hope of the gospel at the end. Such were some of you who practiced these things, but God washed you. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that beautiful? In fact, it's uh, the passage I heard at a Promise Keepers event that led me to the Lord. Not because I was a practicing homosexual, let me be clear. But read the list. Drunkards, idolaters, revilers, liars. You'll find yourself on that list. You're in there somewhere. But such were some of you. By the way, every law in the law of Moses, the principle behind the law is instructive for us. Really, how could not blending fabrics be instructive? Well, what was the point of that law? Here you have a people who were in slavery in a pagan, idolatry-filled nation. He's bringing them out to freedom and then back into Canaan, a land filled with pagan idolaters. And God wanted to, His people to be separate, set apart, different. And so there wasn't any moral law about mixing fabrics. It was a law intended to remind Israel, be set apart, be separate from the world. We forget. What a great reminder. Oh yeah, I'm not supposed to mix these because I'm not supposed to mix with the world. I'm not supposed to jump in the world's bucket. Hey, Daddy, why can't I wear this and this? Because that's a really cool outfit. Well, son, I'm speaking as an Israelite under the Mosaic Law. God wants us to be separate from the world. And so he gave us this law to remind us to be separate. Doesn't that make sense? Makes, makes perfect sense out of a law that when you read at face value, you go, what is up with that? I have to defend this out there? Well, you, can, you can defend God's word. God doesn't need to to defend his word. He, it, it's good. But he does call us to give an answer for the hope that is within us. Stoning rebellious children to death. Don't we discipline rebellious children? We just have things like time out and detention. And when they get old enough to be a threat to society, what do we do with rebellious children? Don't we have juvenile hall and prisons? Sadly, it comes to that. What do you do when you're out in the desert and there's no prisons and you've got a rebellious child with access to weapons? I think it's instructive for Israel that you better be diligent to teach your children before they get to the point where it's too late. We know historically, too, that very few children were stoned to death. Very few rebellious children were actually stoned to death. It became a law that the Pharisees added that whenever a stoning was to occur, that the chief witness had to cast the first stone. Made you think twice about giving testimony. Yeah. 
Third accusation that we hear, many laws in the Old Testament are ridiculous or barbaric or immoral. Kind of like the second accusation, but this is an attack on God's character. And again, I would say you need to turn the conversation around and say, what objective, universal, moral standard are you using to make these judgments? Whether or not I agree with you or disagree with you, why is your opinion stand over God's law? And if you think God's law is just written by men and it's men's opinions, even so, why is your opinion better than this one? Because a lot more people have read this book than listened to you. And it gets the conversation back to the foundation. Theologians have found it helpful to think about the law of Moses in three categories. Now, these aren't biblical categories. You won't get to your Bible and, and have a heading that says, these are the ceremonial laws, these are the civil laws, these are the moral laws. In fact, all laws have a moral component. Whether you keep them or break them, that brings morality into play. But these are... These have stood the test of time as helpful categories for us to think about God's Word. I don't want you to think that God's Word actually uses these categories. But it's, it's helpful to see that the laws are different. They have different functions. The ceremonial law is all the laws pertaining to how Israel was to worship God, keep feasts and Sabbaths, how to build the tabernacle, how to enter the tabernacle, when to enter the tabernacle, what to build it out of, what animals to sacrifice, how to sacrifice them, on what days. Lots lots of laws, ceremonial laws. And they were all intended to help Israel understand that God is holy and we are not. And God has the right to determine how we will approach a holy God. He gets to set the terms of the relationship. The laws of the tabernacle also represented God's willingness to dwell amongst a sinful people. God didn't have to choose to dwell among us, uh, but He did. And in Israel, the pillar of cloud would come and rest in the tabernacle. Only if they built the tabernacle according to God's specifications and conducted the ceremonial law according to God's commands. And today we have Christ who came and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh. How does God want to be approached? Now, through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only way He'll accept us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through Him, through Christ the sacrificial system reminds us that the wages of sin is death. People will say, what was up with all the slaughtering of animals? I mean, in, in today, our day and age where animals almost have the same rights as humans, and for some people in their bucket, animals have more rights than humans. Right? There's the billboard on the way up from Lancaster. The guy holding his pit bull. Right? Animals are people too. It says something... Like that. Animals are children, too. That's what it says. Like, yikes. 
I've never put a leash on my kids. Some people do. I've seen them at... (laughs) Some kids need them. Thank you. The, the, The sacrificial system reminds us that the wages of sin is death. Somebody has to die because of sin. God will accept a substitute, but only the substitute He has deemed is the correct substitute. In the the ceremonial law, this was the substitute. In the new covenant, Christ is our substitute. We don't have to kill animals anymore. All the ceremonial laws pointed to Christ and were fulfilled by Christ. Therefore, we no longer have to keep the ceremonial laws in the Mosaic law. They are still good, They just don't apply to us anymore. Read the book of Hebrews. Read Colossians 2.16. The second kind of law is civil law. All societies have to have a civil law. We need laws to function as a society. And our state needs laws, and our city needs laws, and the county has laws, and your CSD has laws, and our church has some laws, and your home has laws, And like I said, every individual makes their own laws. You can't get away from laws. Israel was coming out of slavery. Egypt had its own laws, albeit ungodly and unjust. And it used deadly force to make Israel obey. God destroyed Egypt's army. Egypt lost the the power of the sword to enforce the law. Now you've got two to three million Israelites. Freedom! And to to say thank you to God for their freedom, they all held hands in the desert and agreed to live in peace and harmony. And they lived happily ever after. And you know, and I know, that's not going to happen. Because man has fallen, and yet many people living in a different bucket than our worldview would say man is is good, naturally good, and and he wants to live in harmony. Despite six thousand years of human history teaching us otherwise. So God gave them civil laws, and we have civil laws. We don't need the Mosaic law as our civil law. We have different civil laws. So the laws that they mock in here, said, well, those laws aren't for us today. They lived in a different time, a different culture, a different place, different circumstances. Because plenty of the laws we have we could mock. Right? What's up with this law? I'm sure Tehachapi has some laws in the book going back 80, 100 years that are pretty funny, and they just stay on the books. And nobody really pays attention to, to them. But somebody thought it was important enough to have those laws when they were written. Now, there's nothing about God's law and the law of Moses that is to be mocked. There is a reason for that law, and the humble heart that wants to know God's will for that law will find the answer. But if anyone comes up to you and says, how come you don't keep this law? That was for Israel. We have a different set of civil laws. 
All the civil laws were fulfilled by Christ as well. Remember, Christ didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. In fact, many people don't know in our society that our founding fathers based our legal system off of the Mosaic Law, which is why we've, we've enjoyed such great blessing in this country, the rule of law based off God's Word. It's a wonderful thing. Finally, the third kind of law is the moral law. All law has a moral component, but this category refers specifically to those laws that transcend covenants, civilizations, and cultures. Nine of the Ten Commandments we would put in this category. Yes, there are also civil laws, and in some way you could even say some of the Ten Commandments are ceremonial laws, but they're all moral law, and they're all binding for us today, except the Sabbath. We just saw in Colossians 2.16 that the Sabbath doesn't apply to us anymore. We love our Seventh-day Adventist friends. They believe in the gospel, but not the Sabbath-keeping. We would not agree there. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And Jesus did many things on the Sabbath that they said the law of Moses forbade. And so he's our model. You should take a day of rest, though, somewhere in your week. You should take a day of rest. And if you're tired, take two. <laughs> you're welcome. Me, uh, go to the last slide, Gary. Finally, the reformers thought it was helpful to consider three uses of the law. So what was the whole point of the law? Why do we even need it? Well, I think we kind of covered that, but this helps too. The law is a, a curb. It's, it's guardrails. It, it's good. It keeps society from spinning out of control. It helps us to live morally. It, does, it can't save us. We can't keep it perfectly. Sometimes we keep the law for the wrong reasons, out of pride and self-righteousness. But the answer isn't to get rid of it. We need laws. We need the curb. It just can't save us. Secondly, the law is a mirror. It shows us our sin and our need for a Savior. If there was no law to break, we would never know we were lawbreakers. Paul said it's a tutor that leads us to Christ. And thirdly, for believers only, and I know you're fading out, but give me your attention here. For believers only, the law can be used as a guide that teaches us how to please God only in our sanctification, not in our justification. Martin Luther was so afraid that we would slip back into self-righteousness that he w wouldn't teach the third use of the law. Calvin taught it a lot, but with, always with the caveat that it's only in our sanctification. Once you're a Christian and God has saved you by faith, not by your works, now what do I do? How do I tell God thank you? How do I show Him I love Him? How do I show Him I trust Him? Obey His laws. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. 
So there's the, the law. And I hope the illustrations helped today to arm you not to be tempted to get into another bucket and in your evangel- personal evangelism not to try to pull people into your bucket but to pull them into God's reality into saving faith in Christ and His truth and in His law. Amen? Amen. Let's dismiss. Father, thank You for Your law. It is good. It is perfect. It restores the soul. Thank You, Jesus, for keeping the law perfectly when we could not. Thank You for taking our punishment on Your shoulders. Thank You, Holy Spirit, for empowering us and giving us the proper motivation to keep the law. May we get out of our personal buckets and step into the truth of Your reality. Embrace it, live it, and teach it to others. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.